I believe that every one of us intuitively knows that God has placed us here on this earth for a purpose. Deep down, I think we all know that we're here for a grand and good purpose that God has for us. But life can be so hard. And sometimes it feels like you're being buried under an avalanche of difficulties and disappointments. And you begin to doubt that God does have a good plan for your life. And you get frozen in your disappointments. And you forget about your purpose. You get frozen in all the difficulties and the delays and the dead ends that you hit. And you forget about God's purpose for your life. Or maybe you've made some bad choices that have sort of left you out in the cold in life. You're feeling the freezing rain of your failures and you can look back in your life and think maybe there was a purpose, but I'm so far off track now, I can never get back. Maybe God did have a good plan for me at one time, but I've made so many bad decisions that God's purpose is buried deep beneath the ice and I'll never be able to get back to it again. Well, I just want you to know, no matter how many failures, sins, and mistakes you've made, if you're still breathing, if you still have breath in your lungs, if you still have a heartbeat, God still has a purpose for your life. I don't care how much pain you feel like has come into your life that seems so overwhelming, that really paralyzes you from your purpose, God says today, there's no pain that can stop my purpose for your life. I don't care what problem that you're facing today. There's no problem that can derail God's purpose for your life. But what we have to do is cooperate with God's warming process. God has this warming process where he, where he melts away all the barriers that keep us from our purpose. And we put a lot of barriers on God. I mean, God is limitless. And you can't stop God, you can't deny God, you can't derail God. He's all powerful. But God allows us to put some limits on him in our lives. Some limits to the blessings that he wants to give us, some limits to the things that he wants to do through us. His good and grand plan for our lives. We put some limits by our lack of faith. And and we have to align ourselves with God's warming process so he can melt away all the ice and get down to the dream that he has for us. So he can really just melt away all the barriers that keep us from fulfilling the purpose that he has for us. And that warming process sometimes isn't very pleasant. It's not like being warmed up by the fire when you're a little chilled. It's more like this right here, little blowtorch. I have no idea how to use this, so don't worry if you're on the front row. Don't worry about that. Um, I always have to say safety third, that's my motto, so don't get worried. This is, this is fun. Feels like I've got a little bit of power. I'm kind of a pyromaniac at heart, I don't know. But God comes alongside you sometimes and it feels like he's using a blowtorch to melt away everything in your life that's not part of his purpose and plan. Michelangelo, the great sculptor, after he sculpted David, if you've ever seen David, the David sculpture, it's amazing. I mean, it looks so lifelike. How can somebody have so much talent that they make a block of marble look like a real living person? It's just unbelievable. But he was once asked, how did you sculpt David, he said, well, I just chipped away everything that didn't look like David. That's cocky right there, you know? But what God is doing, he's melting away everything in your life that doesn't look like his son, Jesus Christ. He wants to melt away all the character flaws, carve out all of those character flaws that don't look like Christ. And sometimes it feels like a blowtorch that melting process to melt away the barriers that keep us from our destiny. So maybe you feel like you're going through that blowtorch process right now. You feel like God's using the blowtorch on you. You're going through a lot of pain and problems and trials and difficulties. Could it be that God is just melting away all those things that distract you to get you to the dream that he has for you? 
could it be that God is melting away all of those character flaws and all of those things that hold you back from your destiny? I want us to look at Moses in the Old Testament because Moses was a man who had a great call in his life. God gave him a great dream, and yet he failed miserably, and he felt like he was done. He felt like he didn't have a chance, that God could never use him again. See, Moses was born a Hebrew slave, but through divine providence, he grew up in the palace of the Pharaoh. He was the prince of Egypt. He was next in line to be Pharaoh, but then God called him to an even greater purpose. God called Moses to be the deliverer, to deliver his people out of slavery after 400 years in Egypt. And Moses believed that God had called him to be the deliverer, that he was called to a good and grand plan. He knew that God had a great plan for his life, and every one of us knows that deep down. It just gets buried underneath the ice of all of our failures, of all of our pain and all our problems. But Moses knew it, and so one day, he was walking along and he sees this Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. He knows he's the deliverer, but he felt like he had the influence, the talent, the ability to get the job done. And so when he sees this Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, he's the deliverer, and so he delivers the slave by killing the Egyptian. It was a terrible mistake because everyone in the kingdom found out about it. Pharaoh was angry. Moses had to run for his life into the desert. So the great deliverer is now a desert dweller. And he's a lowly shepherd in the desert where no one knew him. No one knew his past. No one knew his failures. He's no longer the great deliverer with a great purpose. He's now just leading a bunch of stupid sheep around in the wilderness of lost opportunities. And as he's Leading and tending the sheep, I'm sure he had a lot of time to think out in the desert. And he probably thought back on how he got there. How did I get to this place? I mean, I was gonna be the next Pharaoh. And then God called me to be something even greater. I was supposed to be the great deliverer and I failed miserably. And now it's over. God can never use me again. I've missed out on my purpose. I'm so far off track. I'm supposed to be the deliverer, but now I'm in the desert. I'm wandering around in this wilderness, a wasted opportunity, and I've just messed up my life, and it's all over now. But God brings his blowtorch right into the middle of the wilderness, and he lights a bush on fire to wake up Moses to the fact that God is the God of the second chance. And maybe that's what he wants to do to you today. Bring that blowtorch right into your life and, and just ignite his fire of passion into your soul and melt away the barriers that keep you from your purpose. He wants to breathe his fire into your soul. Reignite your purpose and your passion like he did to Moses. And so I want, to open, I want us to open our Bibles to the book of Exodus. Follow along with me. And would you stand in honor of God's word? I'm gonna read Exodus chapter three, beginning with verse three. So there's the burning bush, and it's burning, but it's not burning up. And Moses is wondering what's going on there, and God gets his attention. And I pray that God gets your attention today with a wake-up call, that you don't just wander through a meaningless existence, but you wake up to the fact that God has called you to something great and good and grand, and it's his purpose for your life. It's not the American dream. It's God's dream. It's greater than anything you can think of or imagine. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for this place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up 
out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Dear God, I thank you that you're the great deliverer. I thank you that you use Moses, Lord, to deliver your people out of slavery. And Lord, I, I know you want to deliver every one of us out of a meaningless existence of just trying to survive and make it through another day. And you want us, Lord, to live out our purpose. Lord, we were made for more than just taking up space, breathing in air. We were made, Lord, for more than just existing. We were made for a purpose. Lord, I know that everything you create, you create for a purpose. And I know you've made us for a purpose. So I pray that every one of us would just align ourselves with your thawing process and you would melt away the barriers today that keep us from all that you want for us. Melt away those mental barriers, Lord. Melt away those faith barriers where we don't have the faith, Lord, and we don't put our faith totally in you. Lord, just work miracles in our hearts and in our lives so that you can work miracles all around us today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. God appears to Moses through a burning bush so he can melt away all the barriers that were keeping Moses from his purpose. And Moses had placed all these limits on God that are the same limits that we place on God in our lives. The first one was the barrier of weaknesses. We put this on God. We limit God with the barrier of our weaknesses. Moses brought up the barrier of his weaknesses right away in verse 10. It says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Moses said, God, you can't use me. I've got all these weaknesses. I, I, I'm nothing special, and I've got all these weaknesses in my life. I don't have the talent that you need. I've got weaknesses instead. And my biggest weakness is I have a fear of public speaking. You know, I'm terrible at speaking in front of people because every time I do, I get really nervous. I start to stutter. I start to stammer. I, I mean, I just look like an idiot. Uh, it, there's no way that I can do this and go before Pharaoh because I can't talk very good. And God says, Moses, I know your weaknesses. I made you. I know your weaknesses, but it's in your weakness that I'll be strong. I'll be your mouth. I'll be your mouthpiece. I'll speak through you with my power and my strength so they'll see that it's me and not you. And by the way, if you really don't want to speak, that's okay. I'll bring Aaron, your brother-in-law. He's really good at communicating. And I'll use him. You'll be the leader. He'll be your spokesperson. I'll take care of it. See, God always takes care of everything you need when he gives you a call upon your life. Whatever God calls you to do, he'll give you the power to do. You ought to write that down. Whatever God calls you to do, he will give you the power to do. God will give you everything you need to fulfill his call for your life. When God gives you a great call, he gives you great provision. He gives you great strength and Usually, he uses the very weakness that you thought would keep you from his purpose. God says, that weakness is where I'm going to use my greatest strength. I look back on my life, and it's the weaknesses that I have that God has used to the greatest degree. God has given me some talents, and God has given me, you know, a, a little bit of ability. But it's the weaknesses I have that God has used to take me to the next level where I see him using his power through me and his strength through me. You see, when I was in high school, I had a fear of public speaking. And if you would have told me, you'll be preaching in front of thousands every weekend and you'll be bringing sermons to millions through broadcast and online every weekend, they'll be watching you speak. I mean, I would have just freaked out. I would just hit my head in a car door right then and there, you know? I mean, and by the way, they've done surveys, and the number one fear people have, most people, is the fear of public speaking. Did you know that? Second one is the fear of death. So most people would rather die than have to do what I'm doing right now, okay? 
And if you had to do this next weekend where you preach next weekend in front of thousands of people, you'd rather get hit by a bus on your way out of church today. And some of you go, no, man, I'm ready to do it. You scare me. <laughs> That's my greatest fear is you getting up here, you know? <laughs> Uh, but that fear, I had that fear of, of public speaking. Whenever I'd have to give a speech in speech class, you know, I would be the last one to go because I never raised my hand, never volunteer. I would just pray, God, don't let her choose me today. I just hated to speak in front of people. But as I began to surrender to God and, and give my life over to him, and he's taken that weakness and turned it into one of his greatest strengths through me because every time I come out here to preach. Right before I come out, I kneel. I've got a little place where I kneel and I pray and I go, God, I give you the church. It's your church. Lord, I can't change one life. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to speak through me your words that change lives. God, I can't work a miracle. Only you can work miracles in people's marriages and families and hearts and lives. Only you can do that, God. So I'm totally dependent on you. I resign from this church and I give you the leadership of this church. Just use me, Lord. Speak through me. Do what you want through me and change lives for your glory. And then God raises me up and he uses me and he speaks through me with his power and his strength and his word and it changes hearts and it changes lives because it's the Lord God using a weak vessel using an ordinary, imperfect person for his glory. And many times, you'll say to me, Carrie, how did you know what I needed today? You know, that message spoke directly to my heart. It was like you were reading my emails. No, I'm not reading your emails. I'm not hacking into your computer. God knows where you're at, and God cares about you, and God has a word to you. God has a word for you today. He cares so much about you. He wants to speak directly to your heart, and he says to you today, I have a good and great plan. No matter what you've gone through, no matter the mistakes and the messes you've made, I can still work a miracle. In fact, it's the very pain you've experienced that I can use for your purpose. It's the very problems you're dealing with that I can take and turn into your purpose. It's the very weaknesses that God can take that look like a barrier and he turns it into the bridge that takes us to his purpose for our lives. You see, we look at our weaknesses as barriers. Those weaknesses aren't barriers at all to God. It's the very bridge God wants to use. God made Moses the great deliverer, and yet he had a speech impediment. He, he, he couldn't really get those words out right, and yet God uses him to lead millions of people. It's the way God works. God can use your weakness and bring about his great strength through it so that he gets the credit and that he gets the glory. And I praise God for that. But then there's the barrier of my insecurities. The barrier of my insecurities. I get frozen in my fears and insecurities and think God can't use me. In Exodus 3.11, Moses brought up his insecurities and fears. It says, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Moses was saying, God, I can't fulfill your great purpose because I'm not great. I'm just really ordinary. I, I'm a nobody. You need to get somebody. I'm ordinary. You need to get someone extraordinary to do this extraordinary job. This is a great call, and I'm not great, God, so I, I can't do this. He was expressing his fears, his insecurities. But really, it was false humility because he was focused on himself. Whenever I say, well, I can't do anything, and you know, I, I mean, I'm not any good at this, I'm no good. Whenever I talk like that, then I'm basically prideful because I'm focusing in on myself. Because God says, Moses, you've got the wrong focus. You're focused on who you are. See, Moses was saying, who am I, God, to do this great job? Who am I, God? Who am I, God? He had an I problem, he was focused on himself, his insecurities what he could not do. And God said, you got the wrong focus. It's not about who you are, it's about who I am. And I am going to do something great through you. It's not about your ordinariness, it's about my extraordinariness. It's not about your lack of strength, it's about my power. You got the wrong focus. It's not about who you are, it's about who I am, God says. 
I'll never forget when our church was just a couple years old and God opened up 125 acres here in the woodlands, right in the middle of the woodlands. And at that time, no church, you know, had more than like five acres and, and, and 125 acres. And I asked our congregation, I said, we should go for this, shouldn't we? And we voted 300 nothing to go for it. And I said, really, that doesn't mean anything because if you vote with your pocketbook, that means something. If we'll, if we'll all give, that means something. And in our little congregation, I mean, people sacrificed and, and we got together everything we could and we bought the land, 125 acres. And I remember some folks around here were saying, who does that little church think they are? get 125 acres. Who do they think they are? And I always thought that's the wrong question. It's not who we think we are. It's who we know God is. God is great and God is powerful. And he wants to do something great and powerful through every one of us. We're ordinary, imperfect, but that's the people God uses because it's the only people there are. But we have an extraordinary God and God says, if you'll take the little ordinary faith you have and place it all on me, I'll do something extraordinary through your life. It's not about the amount of faith you have, it's the object of your faith that matters. It's not about who you are, it's about who he is. Sometimes I think, who am I to come out here and preach to all these people, God? Who am I to lead this amazing church? Who am I to get to do this, God? Who am I? And then I think, wait, I've got the wrong focus. God, you've called me. It's all about who you are, it's not about who I am. And so I come out here and I preach because of God's call on my life. It's about who God is. It's about lifting God up and showing people how powerful he is. If you're focused on what you can't do today, then that's false humility, that's pride. You got the wrong focus. God says, change your focus to what I can do and what I wanna do through you. And God can thaw out those fears that frees you from your purpose. In fact, God goes on to tell Moses who his name is. You see, Moses says, now, now who, who am I gonna tell them is sending me because they're not gonna believe me. I already failed at this once, and if I go back and tell the people, hey, I'm the great deliverer, they're gonna say, well, you know, who died and made you king? You know, who, who sent you? So what is your name that I can tell them because I know, you know, you're powerful and, you know, you're speaking to me through this burning bush, but who should I say sent me? It says in verse 14 that God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God says, my name is I am. Isn't that amazing? God is saying to you today, I am whatever you need. God's name is I am. I am whatever you need. So don't focus on what you're not. Focus on what I am, God says. Oh, God, I don't have much strength. And God says, that's okay, but I am strength. Oh, God, I feel anxious today. And God says, that's okay, because I am peace. God, I don't have the wisdom I need to make this decision. I'm not sure what to do. I'm confused. And God says, that's okay. I am wisdom. God says, I am whatever you need. It's not about who you are. It's about who I am. And I am the great I am. We get our eyes off ourselves and onto God, then we'll start seeing his purpose for our life. You see, you can follow your heart because God places his dream and his purpose in your heart if your heart is totally committed to God. But if your heart is not totally committed to God, don't follow your heart, it'll mess you up. You'll go down the wrong path. But when you surrender your heart to God and go, God, I give you my heart, I focus on you and not me and my abilities and my insecurities and my failures and faults, I'm gonna focus on you, God. Then he changes your heart to align with his heart and you can run from your heart because God's heart and your heart will be aligned. And God always places a dream in your heart. When God wants to do something in your life, he puts a dream in your heart. But many times the dream goes into deep freeze because we're not connected to God's heart. Sometimes the dream has some good things in it that are God, but then some selfish things in it that will really wreck us if God doesn't take it out. And so that brings me to the next barrier, the barrier of my failures. In Exodus 4.13, it says, but Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. After all the excuses, finally Moses just says, hey, I'm not the guy, you got the wrong guy. I've tried this deliverer stuff and I failed. 
but he didn't realize that God is the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance. We have a God of the second chance and maybe you feel like you failed. You can never get back in God's purpose for your life. I want you to know if you have breath in your lungs, God still has a purpose for you. No failure can stop God's purpose. No pain can derail God's purpose for your life. But there are three things that you have to do to really align yourself with God's warming process, even when it feels painful. First is you gotta let go, you gotta let go of some stuff. In Exodus four, two and three, then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied, and the Lord said, throw it on the ground. It became a snake and he ran from it. So God says, Moses, what you got in your hand? And Moses said, oh, this? This is just an old crooked shepherd's staff. This is nothing. And God says, well, if it's nothing, just throw it down and give it to me. You see, that staff was about all Moses had left. He'd lost just about everything. And that staff was really important to him. That old crooked shepherd's staff was about all he had. And if he was gonna stay being a shepherd in the wilderness, he was gonna need that shepherd's staff because that was what he used to fend off all the wild animals to protect the sheep. That was what he used to direct the sheep when they were going the wrong way. That was what he used to lean on when he was tired. It was sort of his security blanket, that, that old crooked shepherd's staff, and he was holding on to it tightly. And, and God said, well, what's that in your hand? It was just, just this shepherd's staff? And God says, okay, we'll throw it down. What is it you're holding on to tightly? God said to him. You gotta let it go. Let it go. And it's the same question God asked us today. What is that in your hand? What's that in your hand you're holding too tightly? What's that in your hand that you're trusting in, that you've placed your security in? You need to let it go. Whatever you've placed your security in that's not God, you gotta let go of it. You gotta let go of everything and surrender it to God before you can find God's purpose for your life. You can't settle for second best. You gotta let go of some good things and trust God with those and give them to God so that you can find God's best for your life. You gotta learn to let go of it. So what is it you're holding on to tightly? Is it your business? Well, God, it's just a small business, and I mean, it's really tough. We're not making a whole lot. Is it your business? God says, well, then throw it down. Let it go. What are you holding on too tightly to? Whatever you hold on too tightly to, you crush the life out of it. What are you holding on to? Is it your family? It could be good things. God says, you gotta let them go because I love them even more than you do. You gotta trust me with your family. You gotta let it go. Is it your finances? Well, God, I mean, you know, it's hard to make ends meet. It's not like I'm rich or anything, God. Well, let it go. You gotta let it go. Whatever it is you're holding on to, if you're gonna take hold of God's purpose, you gotta let go of everything you're holding on to. And Moses let go. He let go of that staff that he had, and he gave it over to God. And by the way, you gotta let go of your past. Some of you are holding on to your past, and it's holding you back, holding on to all your past failures and sins, thinking God can't use you. And some of you needed to hear this verse directly from God. Isaiah 43, 18, God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God says to someone today, I want you to forget the former things because I'm getting ready to do something new in your life something new and great and grand, but you gotta let go of the past. You gotta let go of all those things that you're, hold, that you're holding on to so you can take hold of me. And that's the second thing, take hold. I've gotta let go so I can take hold. So Moses threw it down and it turned into a snake, the scripture says, and then God says to him, Moses, I want you to pick it up. Look at Exodus 4.4. It says, so Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. God said, Moses, I want you to pick up that snake by the tail. First Moses ran off, but then he came back and he obeyed. And sometimes God will ask you to obey and do something that doesn't make any sense at the time. And Moses did, he obeyed God. He picked up that staff or that snake and it turned back into a staff. Sometimes you just gotta take hold of God and totally trust him even when you don't understand it. Corey Tinboom, who was, 
who survived a Nazi concentration camp. And she once said, when you're going through a dark tunnel on a train, you don't get all upset because it's dark and it's a dark tunnel. You don't throw away your ticket and then jump off the train. No, you trust the conductor that he knows where he's going. You're just going through a dark tunnel, but you'll still get to your destination. And sometimes when you go through a dark tunnel with God, you don't know what he's up to. You don't see what he's doing. You don't understand it. You, you trust him, the conductor, and you stay on the train and you wait for God to come through because he'll bring you out into the light. And you obey God even when you don't understand it. You obey God even when you don't feel it. You obey God and you trust him and you keep taking those steps of faith. You've got to let go of what you're holding on to so you can take hold of God and you can take hold of God's purpose for your life. You see, God gave him back the shepherd's staff, but it wasn't the same anymore. And that's what God does with our dreams and our plans and our purposes. Some of our purposes are good and part of God's plan, but we've got to give it to God because until you give it over to God, there's always a snake of selfishness in it. There's always a snake of pride in it. There have been many times where I have to give over my dreams to God because they're good for the most part, but there's a little bit of selfishness in it. There's a little dark side in it. There's some pride in it. And that's why every time I come out here to preach, I go, God, I give you this church. It's your church. It's never been my church. It's your church. Do what you want for your glory. You see, you gotta give it to God constantly because if you don't, there's always a snake of selfishness in it. And then here's the amazing thing. Usually God gives it back to you, but he takes all the pride, the selfishness, and the dark side out of it, and it's anointed for his glory. Till you give it to God, it's not anointed. Till you give it to God, there's no power in it, even good things, until you give it over to God. And here's the thing, if you give it over to God, he may take it out of your life because he has something better for you. He's done that with me many times where I give it over to God and go, God, I can't really live without this. And I give it to God and God takes it out of my life and then something better, he gives me something better. He gives me his best and I look back and go, God, thank you for taking that out of my life. I didn't realize it at the time. But many times I'll give something over to God and go, okay, God, it's yours. You can take it away if you want. But he gives it back to me anointed and the snake of selfishness is taken out of it and it's filled with joy. And power. You see, Moses got back that old crooked shepherd staff, but it was no longer an old shepherd staff. It was now the mighty staff of God, the same mighty staff of God that he used to touch the Nile River and it turned to blood. The same mighty staff of God that he held over the Red Sea and it parted down the middle so the people could walk through on dry ground. The same mighty staff of God that he would raise up over the enemies of God so that they would be defeated. It was no longer an old shepherd staff. It was now the mighty staff of almighty God. And that's what God wants to do with the things that he's given you if you'll give them over to him. He wants to anoint them, change them for his glory and all for his purpose. And it changes everything. But too many times we get stuck in the thinking of God, I don't really have a whole lot. I don't have a lot of talent. I don't have a lot of ability. You can't really use me, but God always starts with what you have to give you what you never could have without God. God always asks you, what do you have? And God, I don't have a whole lot. Do you got five loaves and two fish? Well, I can feed thousands with that. What it, God always starts with what you have to give you what you don't have, what you really need. But we get focused in on what we don't have. Martin Luther King, whose birthday we celebrate tomorrow, once said this, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed or as Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. It's not about the influence that you have, it's what are you doing with the influence that God has given you. It's not about the job you have, it's, it's how you're doing that job. It's not about the opportunities you have, it's how you're using those opportunities. God always starts with what you have, you give it to him, he blesses it and turns it into something amazing. Chris and I just wrote a book called The Gift of One Day, How to Find Hope When Life Gets Hard. And it's the most personal and I think it's the most powerful and it's definitely 
the dearest book to our hearts, and it comes out on February the 4th. But I want to read to you the first page. He was given the gift of one day, one sunset, one sunrise, just one rotation of the planet before he left it. Unlike the average American, he wasn't gifted with almost 80 years of life on this earth. He wasn't granted 80 years or 80 days or even eight days. No, he was given the gift of one day. However, the way Jude Samuel Shook unwrapped the divine gift of his one day gave us as grandparents a gift that has changed the way we now live every day. A little boy who lived on this earth for just a handful of hard-fought hours taught us how to live our years. Ask us what we remember about that day, that particular 24-hour period from midday on January 7th to midday on January 8th, 2017. We can tell you absolutely everything, but here's the biggest change of all. Ask us what we remember about all the days since then, and we can tell you a whole lot more that we could have told you about almost every other day in all the years before it. The intense 24 hours we lived on that January day, as well as the things that took place leading up to it, have substantially changed how we approach each new day. One day turned us upside down and we've never gotten over it. We never want to get over it. One day changed the way we now live every day. And we pray our story will do the same for you. You see, God gave Jude, our grandson, one day on this earth, but how he unwrapped the gift of that one day changed us forever. And we're gonna take the whole church through the gift of one day because God has given you today. We don't know how many days God will give us. God has given me thousands of days so far, but I wonder about the impact on my life compared to my grandson Jude who just lived for 24 hours, but he did exactly what God called him to do. Breathe, just breathe Jude, just breathe. And he breathed. Beautiful baby boy, just breathe for 24 hours. And then God called him home. I don't like it. Still doesn't make sense to us but we feel God's peace and God's power through it all. That the impact of our lives has nothing to do with the number of our days. It's not the opportunities that God doesn't give you that he holds you accountable for, it's the opportunities he does give us that he will hold us accountable for. And I know Jude, who lived only a frail 24 hours on this earth, is a heavyweight in heaven. And God's using his life to bring so many people to Christ. The amazing thing is, you know, he's taught us so much through him. And Chris, when we went to Cincinnati to try these experimental treatments that Kelly and Josh, you know, said, we're going to do whatever it takes to save our son. Chris got a little notebook and she wrote down miracle book and she began to write the little miracles that God did all along the way. And there were thousands of them. We didn't get the miracle we wanted in the end but we got thousands of miracles that God gave us that we needed. And it's amazing how God can use one day. And God wants you to unwrap the gift of today. Don't worry about what you don't have. Thank God for what he's given you. And we're gonna learn to unwrap the gift of that one day. And we're gonna learn some of these lessons together on this journey, like hard isn't the opposite of good. And like when tomorrow overwhelms you, you need to have a just for today prayer. God, just for today, give me strength. Just for today, give me peace because God won't give you the strength for tomorrow, but he will give you everything you need for this day. There's so many principles that we're gonna go through. And so I really encourage you, there's a little card in your program. It's this little card that says the gift of one day. Take it out. And we want everybody to host a gift of one day group. And if you host, we're gonna give you the book and the miracle book free. And all, all you have to do is just sign up and we'll teach you how to do it. We'll get you connected, but we're gonna go through it in February, the gift of one day. And Chris and I have done all the videos. There's five videos, so it's only five sessions. And all you have to do is just download the videos. You read a couple chapters in the book and you discuss it in your group, have some refreshments. But every one of us need connection. And this is really a powerful tool on how you can take advantage of the opportunities God's given you. God always starts with what you have to give you what you don't have. Take the little bit of time you have and use it for his glory. So I just challenge every one of you to sign up. Host, go for it. But then I want you to see there's a third thing that Moses had to learn 
so that God could melt away all those barriers so he could get down to his real purpose in life, and that is you gotta move out. You gotta move for God's glory. You gotta get moving. God wants you to get moving so that he can work a miracle in your life. Look at this last verse in Exodus 14, 15. This is right when they came to the Dead Sea. Or right when they came to the Red Sea, I'm sorry. Then the Lord said to Moses, quit praying and get the people moving. Forward march, use your rod, hold it out over the water and the sea will open up a path before you and all the people of Israel shall walk through on dry ground. So I love that. They, they get out of Egypt and they're at the Red Sea and then they're praying, God help us. And God says, quit praying and start obeying. Quit praying and start obeying. Some things you don't have to pray about, like God, should I read my Bible today? God says, every morning, put me first for 10 minutes. God, should I go to church this week? God says, give me the first day of the week and I'll bless the rest of your week. God, should I um, put you first in my finances? God says, it's in my word. You don't have to pray about those things, you just do it. God, should I join a church? It's God's will for your life to join a church. Our membership class is next weekend. That's how you join Woodlands Church, get off the sidelines. Should I get in a life group? God wants you to be in a, a, a small group of people studying God's word, growing close together. I want our student pastor, Mark Miller, to come up right now because he's gonna share with you something I know God wants everyone to pray about, get involved in, because one of the things God has called us to do at Woodland Church is raise up the next generation to change the world. And that's what God's doing. We have all these teenagers every weekend over a 1,000 that are meeting every weekend, and God's using them powerfully, and God's using them to change the world. And we're committed to raising them up, but Mark's gonna tell you about an opportunity that God wants you to take a step of faith in. So welcome our student pastor, Mark Miller. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Kerry, and thank you, church. I do, I wanna share with you an opportunity that we have as a church to get behind one of the most incredible events that we get to do here at Woodland Church and working with the next generation, it's called Reality Weekend. And when I first came to the church just over 10 years ago, we had less than 300 students who were involved in that discipleship weekend and through God's power, it's been incredible um, just to see the growth. Now we used to meet in homes and we'd have awesome families that would open up their homes and we'd have about 30 homes that about 10 to 12 kids would, would meet in and then as we've grown, that number of homes grew to having needing over 100 homes, which made it difficult for our pastors to get out and visit and minister to all these kids at all these homes. And so we made a change a couple years ago where now we take over the Woodlands Waterway Marriott, the Weston on the waterway. We have to take over both hotels there on the waterway. And we have to take over the pavilion to have a space big enough to hold all of our kids. Um, we've already got over 900 students signed up as of this morning. We're believing God for over 1,300 students to be there and God continues to move. It's a discipleship weekend, which is all about making sure that we challenge our students that's growing up in this generation to bring heaven to earth by learning how to worship God, by learning how to be connected to his word. If you don't know what Reality Weekend is and kind of the impact that it has and kind of what that environment is, we prepared a short video for you to kind of get the heart of kind of what happens at Reality Weekend. Just check this out. Yeah, I sure am thankful for students like Abby and Grayson and our church. And I want you to know as your student pastor that I'm committed to making sure that this reality weekend is the best reality weekend we've ever put on. Because we have to. You know, I know that for a lot of our families in our church that the holiday season that we just came through has been a particularly tough one. But I know for one family in the student ministry, a couple at least, but one family I wanna bring up today that it's been particularly hard for. In August, the student ministry promotes our new, our fifth graders who are just entering sixth grade into the student ministry. And this August, we got a new sixth grader. His name was Noah Gonzalez. Noah was a heck of a young man, full of energy and life. And if you came here on a Wednesday night, you would have seen him out there on the plaza throwing the football with his buddies and playing baseball and always had a ball in his hand, would come in here to service. He was jumping around and he was just super engaged and got connected to the student ministry right away, he and his family. So when we started promoting Reality Weekend in November, Noah knew that he had a birthday in January. And so he came to his parents, Vincent and Sandra, and said to them, Mom and Dad, there's one thing that I want for my birthday. It's to go to Reality Weekend. 
So his parents, unbeknownst to him, signed him up and were excited to give that to him for his birthday, which was just a week and a half ago. But in December, his family woke up or were in the midst of doing their day and in the blink of an eye, Noah had a tragic accident and lost his life. We walked with that family through their funeral and the family got a chance to share with me Noah's story and how much he loved Woodlands Church and how he was so connected to what we were doing on Wednesday nights and couldn't wait for Rowdy Weekend that they had already signed him up. And before I could say anything, they said, Mark, and we want you to know, please, know this, our family does not want a refund. We know that God had us pay for our student to go to Reality Weekend because someone's supposed to be there, so you make sure that someone goes in Noah's place. The Bible reminds us in Hebrews 3, 7 that we're only guaranteed today. Today, if you hear his voice, it reminds us, do not harden your hearts. The opportunity that we have to step out on what the Lord is calling us to do is today. I don't know that we'll get to have another Reality Weekend with every student, so we're guaranteeing that this Reality Weekend, we're gonna pour our hearts and soul into it. In the same way that we do every weekend as we prepare for services here at, for, at Woodlands Church, we know that all we're guaranteed is this one service. And we wanna make it our best because what God has given us to step into the opportunities that we have is today. To use what he's given us is today. And so I'm promising you as your student pastor that I'm gonna do whatever it takes to make it the best opportunity, the best opportunity that your student will have to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, to pour into their lives, to take what they have and to get connected. And this year we know that a part of that is getting your student more connected to you. And so we're taking new steps this year at Reality Weekend. On Saturday night, we're gonna make Saturday night at Reality Weekend a parents' night. And we're gonna do a, a message, a sermon, where we're gonna bring the parents in and invite you to get involved in your student's life. And we're bringing Hillsong over from Sweden. We're gonna have a night of worship with moms and dads and kids to get them more connected to each other's hearts and to God's heart than ever before because we've gotta strive forward into the opportunities that God has for the next generation together. And we're pumped and we're motivated and it's gonna be amazing, but this is the time. Let me tell you something. If you are a student in here and you aren't signed up yet or you're connected to a student who isn't signed up, they need to be there. And if you don't have a student who's going to Rowdy Weekend, let me tell you something. We have hundreds of students every year who use the finances as an excuse. It's what keeps them from being able to come be a part of that life change. And I'm challenging you, scholarship a student. Stop by one of our kiosks out here on the way out and meet a student's need. Help take away that excuse of finances that they can step into God's eternal purpose for their life. Today's the day. It's all that we're guaranteed. And you know what? I'm so thankful to be at a church that we step into every opportunity the Lord gives us for life change. We have a chance to reach just one more and we're not gonna miss it because all we have is today. Thanks for what you do, church. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Sometimes we get all caught up in doing something big and great for God when God is calling us to take one step of faith so he can do something big and great through us. Every life matters. And I'm telling you what, a lot of people criticize this generation coming up. And then a lot of people say, well, I don't know what it's gonna be like for this generation. Things are so bad and all these things like that. And I say, this generation is coming up to change the world with God's power. They have laid it all down. They keep laying it all down and they keep taking hold of God with all their heart. And I do challenge you to help scholarship a student. We wanna bring as many kids to Rally Weekend as possible so they can get connected to God, connected to each other, and stay strong against peer pressure so that God can raise them up for his good purpose for their life. Not a selfish purpose, but an eternal purpose. And I wanna ask you, are you doing anything with your one and only life that'll be here after you're gone? Anything. You see, if you have a selfish dream, it dies with you. When you go on the ground, it goes in the ground, it's over. But when you have an eternal dream, a dream from God, it never dies. It goes on forever. And when you do anything to build the kingdom of God for his glory, it changes eternities and eternal destinations forever. I want us to bow and pray because I know everyone here has a next step. I don't know what that is. Maybe that next step is just joining the church because you haven't joined. Maybe the next step is getting connected to a life group. Maybe the next step is putting God first in your finances. I don't know what the next step is for you, but maybe the next step is trusting Jesus, giving up to him to save you. Just pray this prayer right now. Dear Jesus Christ, 
save me. Forgive me of all my sins. I give up to you. I want your purpose for my life. Come into my life and give me the strength. Lord, I know that you're the great I am. I need you. And bring me to heaven one day and be the Lord of my life. And Lord, I pray for everyone here. I know we're all going through pain and problems and difficulties, but Lord, I pray that you would just strengthen us to let you melt away the barriers that keep us from our purpose. And we'd realize the pain doesn't push us away from our purpose, but the pain pushes us into our purpose for your glory. And I thank you, Lord, that nothing can stop your purpose. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, now we're at the part of our service where we give back to God, and I do encourage you to get started in this new year right. Put God first in your finances. My dad told me something years ago I've never forgotten. He said, Carrie, if you wanna know how to put God first, it's all practical. Give God the first day of your week and make sure you're in worship and he blesses the rest of your week. Give God the first part of every day, 10, 15 minutes reading his word, writing down what you're learning. Then give God the first portion of your finances. Put him first in the tithe so he can bless the rest. And give him the first consideration in every decision. That's how you put God first. I've never forgotten that. My dad now is 84 years old and he just got out of the hospital last week after having pneumonia and we didn't know if you know, he was gonna be around after last week. But I've never forgotten those things. One day my dad will go to be with the Lord. I'm blessed to have him here. But all those eternal truths that he taught me will live on. Put God first. Put God first. Lord, we pray you'd bless our giving. We thank you've given us the greatest gift of all. We're only giving back to you some of what you've given us. And use it, Lord, to change lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God is the maker of heaven and earth. Hey, uh, I'm so proud of Stephen and Josh uh, who wrote that song, Maker and Woodlands Worship. That um, It just crossed one million listens on Spotify alone. So God is using it around the world and uh, in a lot of churches to make a huge difference. So Mary Love and I want to say to you, God bless you, Woodlands Church. Have a great week. We love you. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.